good Thursday and welcome to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. Glad to have you along here today. We'll bring you feature agricultural news reports along with a look at regional and national agricultural news. And we'll start with regional agricultural news headlines right after this. Do you know the nutrient use efficiency people? Yes, I'm talking about the folks at Verdesian Life Sciences that deliver crop insights and solutions so California crops grow to their full potential. From micros with a proprietary delivery system to solutions that help improve the uptake and assimilation of applied nutrients. Visit VLSCI.com to learn more about Verdesian solutions or to connect with a local representative right here in California. The California Department of Food and Agriculture's Antimicrobial Use and Stewardship Program has released its fourth annual report. The AUS program is a comprehensive antibiotic stewardship and monitoring program established to fulfill mandates of California law. The AUS 2022 annual report focuses on a 2021 to 2022 fiscal year spanning July 1st of 2021 to June 30th of 2022 and provides a description of AUS activities during this time, including updates from the following program focus areas, program products, what materials and information have they produced, animal management strategies, antibiotic sales and use, antibiotic resistance communication and engagement, AUS-funded research publications and presentations, and looking ahead at what is next. For more information and to view the full report, log on to the California Department of Food and Agriculture website. The Santa Cruz County Farm Bureau was honored with five County Activities of Excellence Awards and was a finalist in a statewide innovator award at the California Farm Bureau's 104th annual meeting in early December. A local delegation of five attended the meeting in Monterey, which was December 4th through the 7th. This included Bureau President Dennis Webb, First Vice President Peter Navarro, Second Vice President John Pistorino, Executive Director Jess Brown, and C.J. Miller, Chair of the Young Farmers and Ranchers Committee. They won awards in the categories of membership, policy, implementation, leadership, ag education, and public relations. In addition, they were an Innovator Award finalist for their annual National Agriculture Day Poster and Poetry Contest, a contest for local students where they can have their artwork and poetry published on placemats at local restaurants. Also highlighted at the meeting was local ranch owners Robert Stevens' dog, Ray, who received second runner-up in the California Farm Bureau's Farm Dog Contest. The Arizona-California desert growing regions has experienced an early cold weather pattern with multiple mornings of freezing temperatures. Epidermal blister and peel are now present in some lettuce crops as a result. Romaine is typically the most affected, but some varieties are impacted more than others. Marcon inspectors are working with suppliers to secure the best product for commodity and value-added packs. Harvesting and processing crews will work to remove as much as the defect as possible, but won't be able to eliminate it completely. Warmer weather is forecast, but the effects of all the early cold weather will be felt for several weeks to come. The Citrus Research and Development Foundation met for its December board meeting to discuss several topics before heading into the new year. One of the bigger areas of discussion was what to do with available uncommitted funds. The board decided to fund work on several questions growers have regarding use of bactericides inserted through systemic delivery devices and give the balance to the Citrus Research and Field Trials Program to help as many growers as they could get this bactericide product into their trees. That, according to Rick Dantzler, CRDF Chief 
Chief Operating Officer. Other projects receiving funds included the company Soilcia. It's the only company they know of that is actively working to get several non-GMO trees that are resistant to HLB through the regulatory process. Funding will enable them to propagate enough trees for replicated field trials and get these trees into the field for testing. Funds were also directed towards a continuation of a project studying the Parson Brown variety and what seems to be imparting its HLB tolerance. California's almond sector is hoping for a more prosperous 2023 after a year of drought, water shortages, supply chain disruptions, and inflationary pressures. Almond Board of California President Richard Waycott told the organization's 50th annual conference that this year was probably the toughest they've had as an industry. California's almond acreage decreased in 2022 for the first time in more than 25 years, with some growers toppling trees thanks to a third year of drought. Americans are paying up to 40% more for vegetables in 2021, and drought is a big reason why. A new report from Daily Mail says the increase is due in large part to states that grow fresh produce getting hit with water cuts because of droughts. The company that owns Fiji Water, Palm Wonderful, and other brands have purchased the Robert Sinsky Vineyards property east of Yontville, according to county records. The real estate deal did not involve the business. The Wonderful Company, a business owned by billionaires Stuart and Linda Resnick of Beverly Hills, acquired the 11.8-acre winery and vineyards property off of the Silverado Trail for about $26.05 million, according to the deed filed in Napa on November 23rd. After the transaction, a property was leased back to Robert Sitsky Vineyards, which Rob and Maria Sinsky continue to own and operate, according to a representative for the wonderful company. The winery, which farms its vineyards organically, has been family-owned since its inception. Rob Sinsky's father, the late Robert Sinsky, a Los Angeles eye surgeon, founded the winery in 1986. He passed away in 2015. Altogether, the company farms about 200 acres at various locations. In 2021, the Napa County Planning Commission approved changes to the winery use permit. Under the updated permit, the winery, which can produce up to 143,000 gallons a year, is allowed to have up to 1,449 visitors per week and 36 full-time and six part-time employees. The deed indicates tax bills will be sent to the Wonderful Company in Los Angeles. The Wonderful Company, whose wines holding includes Justin Vineyards and Winery and JNSQ and Paso Robles, has been investing in the wine country over the past few years. There's giant potential sleeping in your soil. Under drought conditions, it's never been more important to wake it up. Phycoterra, a superior soil microbial food, activates the native microbes responsible for your soil's health and water holding capacity. Adding Phycoterra to your crop increases water retention up to 10% and optimizes crop nutrient availability. Plus, it delivers excellent mixability and application flexibility, making it easy to add to your existing crop input strategy. Visit phycoterra.com to learn how you can wake up your soil's giant potential with phycoterra. Airblast sprayers have been around since the 50s, and sprayers with sensors to reduce labor costs and pesticide waste have been around since the 80s. In this new age of ag tech where technology has become more reliable, sensor-controlled spray systems are indeed making a comeback. Nowadays, these different types of sensors that are available, there are some that, that are same as they were back in, in the 80s, but there have been various improvements that have happened over time. So in addition to other uh, sensor types becoming available. So ultrasonic sensors were pioneered back in the 1980s, um, but they the patents on those sensors have since expired. So 
they, there's newer options and there's been updates to those sensors to make them a little bit more robust and reliable. Um, there's also other sensors that are being integrated into these spray systems. So plant fluorescence sensors is one example of that, as well as infrared sensors. Um, and LIDAR being the most kind of notable in terms of its capability of scanning the plant and adjusting spray based on that. Um, so it's really the more, having more options available as well as some improved reliability among those options. That was Brent Warnicke, a researcher with Oregon State University. He said it's the reduction in labor costs combined with an increasing need for labor that has really driven the adoption of sensor-controlled systems. Having shortage of, of labor is just an increasing issue in the industry, and having these sprayers that can cut down on spray usage, which you know then results in uh, less hours spent spraying, is really one of the, the great benefits of the systems. The sensors Warnicke referred to, infrared, plant fluorescence, ultrasonic, and LiDAR, can all be paired with on-off sensor sprayers or crop-adapting sprayers depending on a grower's specific situation. Infrared sensors and plant fluorescence sensors are both used on herbicide sprayers most commonly. Um, those are kind of a little bit of the simpler type of, of sensor. Um, so infrared sensors are usually used to target spray at a given area or um, avoid spraying a certain area. And those plant fluorescence sensors are used um, to detect weeds on a brown surface of the soil being the background, and then it would target those um, those green weeds that it would see. So those are using these weed-seeking technologies. Um, and those, are, those can also be used on uh, canopy sprayers so air blast type, type sprayers, which is where it gets a little more complex when you're targeting those 3D plant structures and trying to get good coverage. Um, so the two sensors that are primarily used for those 3D applications are ultrasonic sensors and LiDAR sensors. And ultrasonics, um, they've been used for, for a long time. That's how I mentioned they have had their patents expire, so there's newer versions of these sensors that are out that are a little bit more robust. Um, and those can actually calculate canopy volume with a sim similar accuracy to taking manual measurements. Um, and LiDAR actually goes a step f uh, further than that to where it can have millimeter resolution of plant structures and really pinpoint how, how much canopy is there so that spray can be adjusted more accurately to match that canopy characteristic. One step further on the labor side of things for sensor-controlled sprayers has been the development of systems to be autonomous, which doesn't require a skilled driver to be in the cab, and eliminates the chance of pesticide exposure, according to Warnicke. They can really cut down labor. I mean, if you're picturing, you know, eight sprayers in the field that were operated by humans versus, you know, one human monitoring eight sprayers, it really makes a huge difference in that, that cost of labor there. Um, also, a couple of these uh, different companies are making these autonomous sprayers with these, integrated with these sensors um, to make them even more efficient. So then you're saving on labor just in the operation of the system, but then also on the pesticide quantity and also the, the amount of water that's actually required for, for an application as well. So just kind of taking, you know, making it even more efficient in any way possible, really. 
When asked what advice he'd give to any grower looking towards sensor-controlled sprayers or even autonomous sprayers, Warnicky had this to say. Definitely evaluate all your options. Um, there's a, a range of these sensor types available, and a lot of them can be retrofitted onto your existing system. Um, so having a consultation with your local extension agent or your crop consultant, um, trying to you know picture, find which system would work best for you. Um, and yeah, in a lot of cases, these can be put on your existing sprayer. So, you know, trying to evaluate that as a, as a way to save money as well, instead of, you know, going out and buying a new sprayer. Um, there's usually a way to, to integrate these technologies um, for any given farmer's budget. So just kind of making sure to, to go through the options that are available out there. I just wanted to mention that uh, the highest spray savings with these um, sensor-controlled sprayer systems usually happen in crops with variable foliage or, or gaps in the crop. So something like an orchard or something that has, you know, canopy missing or something like that from uh, replanting or the like um, is really where the savings are most, are seen uh, most readily um, just due to the system, you know, constantly adapting to what it's that variation as opposed to just, you know, a constant output from a standard sprayer. There's been a wide variety of research on mostly plant uh, ultrasonic and uh, LiDAR sensors that um, has demonstrated that they have a lot of benefits in terms of reducing drift and off-target deposition, as well as reducing the amount of volume needed to cover a canopy of a crop, and um, all with equivalent uh, pest or disease control to standard sprayers. Um, so just wanted to, to touch on that. And then uh, some of our research, too, um, in using these variable rate systems, we found that when using uh, synthetic fungicides and synthetic pesticides, um, they really do a very good job, um, as I said, similar to a standard sprayer, um, but with contact fungicides and other pesticides, um, there's a little bit more uh, thought that needs to go into it to make sure that uh, disease or pest control is uh, achieved to the satisfaction of the grower. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Charlstrom. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bee's pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Bee Hero, superior bees, superior pollination. Congress plowed through its final work of the year last week with the U.S. Senate passing a $1.7 trillion spending bill to fund the government, including USDA programs, through the end of the fiscal year. And while it's not in the huge omnibus spending bill to fund the federal government for the rest of the fiscal year, H-2A farm guest worker visa reforms will not go away as an issue anytime soon. There's nothing on any immigration issues uh, in the bill. 
But the issue, Senator Chuck Grassley says, is not the massive fiscal 2023 omnibus spending bill. H-2A farm guest worker visa reforms has been around for years and could be for many more. Washington State GOP Congressman and farmer Dan Newhouse sponsored the earlier Farm Workforce Modernization Act that passed in two Congresses and was backing the failed Senate bill. When we're in the midst of a labor crisis, let me ask a rhetorical, rhetorical question. Why would we not pass labor reform? When, the, when we're in the midst of a food crisis, why would we not implement changes to keep Americans fed? And when we're in the midst of an inflationary crisis like we are, why would we wait to lower food, food and production costs that Americans are desperate for? Newhouse and Senate Democrat Michael Bennett of Colorado failed to win any GOP support for the last-minute Senate version, even among the most likely to support it, like Grassley. I am in favor of doing some things on agricultural immigration, but I'm not prepared to say that I would vote for that specific product at this point. Leaving a farm labor issue and need for legal year-round guest workers for another day, but a day when an incoming House GOP majority is likely to resist even harder H-2A reforms until the southern border is secured. Additionally, the bill includes roughly $27 billion in spending for natural disasters, $3.74 billion to help USDA to help producers who suffered through agricultural disasters in 2022, $25.5 billion in discretionary funds for USDA and related agencies, such as the Food and Drug Administration, and another $10 billion for the Environmental Protection Agency. In other work on Capitol Hill, the U.S. Senate has confirmed Doug McCallop to serve as chief agricultural negotiator for the office of the U.S. Trade Representative. Stay tuned for more details on McCallop in a future program. As reported here recently, the Senate voted to confirm Alexis Taylor as the new USDA Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Affairs. I have a little bit more information for you regarding Taylor. Taylor is a former director of Oregon's Department of Agriculture and is the new top agricultural trade official with the agency. Food Business News says she'll be responsible for overseeing international negotiations related to agricultural trade, developing America's trade policies, promoting U.S. agriculture overseas, and opening up new markets for America. Commodities. At a nomination hearing in September, Taylor said her top priorities would be working with the U.S. Trade Representative on a path towards country of origin labeling that would be compliant with the World Trade Organization rules. She also intends to hold Canada and Mexico to their commitments under the U.S. Mexico Canada Agreement and will expand export markets for dairy and other farm products within the Indo Pacific Economic Framework. A new report from the American Farm Bureau Federation lays out the priorities, principles, and recommendations for reforming dairy policy. A Farm Bureau working group explored options for strengthening the dairy industry through the 2023 Farm Bill and modernizing the current federal milk marketing order. Some of the priorities for the milk marketing order reform include returning a Class 1 mover to a higher of formula, increasing the Class 1 differentials to reflect changes in the marketplace, and making cost surveys mandatory and have them audited by you. USDA, and several others. AFBF President Zippy Duvall says America's dairy farmers continue to meet the challenges of growing demand for milk products, even while the number of dairy farmers in the U.S. continues to shrink, and these recommendations convey the needs of dairy farmers across the country. Public agricultural research and development funding has trended lower in the United States during the last several decades. However, a USDA report shows several of America's top trading partners have increased their funding. The EU's expenditures have grown since 2000, as have the funding pools in India and Brazil. 
But no country has experienced as rapid an increase in funding as China, which became the largest funder of agricultural R&D after 2011, surpassing the European Union. As recently as 2015, China was spending more than $10 billion yearly on agricultural R&D, about twice what the U.S. spent in 2015. The USDA, U.S. Agency for International Development, and the Food and Drug Administration launched the Food Safety for Food Security Partnership, also known as FS4FS. The initiative includes a $15 million investment over the next few years to support the availability and trade of safe food products to reduce poverty, hunger, and malnutrition in low- and middle-income countries. Foreign Ag Service Administrator Daniel Whitley says the initiative was developed after the U.S. African Leaders Summit, where many African heads of state asked for help in developing science-based measures and standards for food safety. Through the new partnership, they will work together to address those needs, which are vital to ensuring greater access to safe and nutritious foods across Africa, according to Whitley. The agencies will also work to build on the success of the Feed the Future and work with countries around the world to increase access to safe and nutritious foods and unlock trade opportunities. Reporting for CAF Media, I'm Lori Boyer. Sponsored by the California Walnut Boarding Commission, supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate and influence growers in the western united states everywhere you go you see west coast nut magazine on the, every one of my customers tables so that tells you everything that's that it's there so they're reading our my ag life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.